to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Second Corinthians chapter 5. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go back and read the whole of the chapter. Last week we talked about verse 16. Um, therefore, from now on, we regard Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. And we talked about how as we look at everyone through the eyes of Christ... And you know, no longer looking at people because of the bad things that they've done, because of the good things that they've done, but actually looking at them indifferent as being not not being indifferent to them, but not being impressed with what they can offer you or or uh, reject them for what they can't offer you. But to look at mankind as Christ looks at mankind, Jesus, the Bible says that God so loved the world, the world, not the wealthy and not the poor. But all the world, not just the middle of the road people. He loved the world. Not the super pious, super religious, and not those that have rejected God altogether. God loved them all. That he was willing, not willing, but he actually went through and sent his son to die for you. God so loved the world that he gave sacrificially. He gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And you might go, yeah, well, I like them. I will love them if they accept the Lord. Well, then you're not looking at them through the eyes of Christ. Because if you only love those who love you, then what different uh, difference are you? Jesus says, listen, if you only love your friends, you know, what sets you apart from the Gentiles? And the idea was, is what makes you any different? If you love those who love you back, what sacrifice is there in that? Jesus is saying, love the unlovable. That's what I did. Paul reminds us of that in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He, he does, doesn't he? He says, he says that God, his father, Paul says it about God, God, the father of Jesus, God, so he demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners still sinners and that's an important phrase right there while we were still sinners Christ died for us because sometimes we might go well well God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were good people and he really just thought that man heaven would be really really benefited by having you up there I mean right now it's a little empty it's a little dark up there right now, and it's a little vacant. But man, to have that good person down there up here, it's going to make heaven perfect. No, no, that's not what it is. It says that God's demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still in our sin. So think of the worst sinner in the world. You know, or think of somebody who's just in sin, somebody that you look at and you go, oh, I'm just having a hard time being around that person or t accepting phone calls or or being around a brother or sister or a friend or a, a person at work. And you go, man, they're just I just don't understand, man. I just can't stand them. Be careful because no longer are you looking at them through the eyes of love. You're beginning to look at them through the eyes of flesh. That's you. So. From now on, regard no one according to the flesh. Look at them through the eyes of Christ is what it is. And so if we were to do that as Christians, we would make an impact. The impact, can you imagine, that we would make if we looked at the world the way that Jesus looked at the world? You know, I, I don't see him standing out and saying, prostitutes, you need to repent and be saved or I'm, not, I'm picketing you. <laughs> here's a street corner where the prostitutes are you know prostitutes are going to hell I don't see Jesus doing that like that wacko church in Westboro, Texas 
you know, that that really weird church that goes out there and pickets, you know, funerals uh, of fallen servicemen saying, good, I'm glad you're dead. God hates, you know, and then he they just start laying out some just ugly, ugly words. And they say, oh, we're justified by God. I'm going, no, shut up, you're an idiot. You're, that's just not the Lord. That's not Jesus. And I think that what's nice is that they're so crazy that I think even you know the atheists look at that and go, I can't even blame the Christians for that. You know, These guys are just really crazy. That's not really what a Christian is. Even atheists, I think, recognize, yeah, that's not a right representation. I can't use them as an argument. You know, Maybe some will try, but nobody will take them seriously. But here's the thing. When we look at the people that are in our life, the people that God brings into our sphere of influence, do you look at them through the eyes of Christ? And that's what Paul's trying to get through to the church. That's what he's trying to get through to you and I. Don't ever look at the world through the eyes of your flesh. Don't, don't make your own, don't fashion your own opinions of people and use your judgment to judge them to heaven or to hell based upon what you know. Because you know what? You are flawed. And I am flawed. And man, I'll tell you, many times that I've looked at people according to the flesh and I've judged them in my heart, man, have I found out that I was wrong. You remember I've told this story many, quite a few years ago about Bible college. You know, a guy just all tatted up. He's got all these tats all over him, you know, and every time he dressed, it was in black. He always had this big beanie and the guy was like six foot four and he was real thin, you know, just a lanky, thin kid, you know. And you just look at this guy and he always had this wispy, you know, you know, dastardly Dan mustache real cut, you know, right here. And then a wispy, you know, beard down here. And I mean, you're just going, man, you are a spawn of Anton LaVey, I think. You know, you're like a, you're like Anton LaVey is the, the guy who wrote the Church of Satan, the, the satanic Bible. You know, you look at that and you go, wow, is that like Satan's kid? And then he was accepted to Bible college. And he was in my dorm. And I was his dorm steward. And I'm like, oh, man, that's horrible. This is why, Lord. Why didn't you just give me good Christian guys in here? I mean, man, I'm going to have problems with this guy this whole year. That's my heart. My heart was that. And it was, you know, a few weeks into the semester, I hadn't even really talked to him. I tried to be nice with him, you know, because that's what you're supposed to be, you know. But my, my heart wasn't right. My heart wasn't right for him because of his looks. My flesh judged him the way that he was. And then he was... I was in there sleeping one time during the day. Yes, sleeping during the day. Classes were over and I was wiped out and I was taking a nap during the day and, and between classes. And I heard another guy that was in our dorm was kind of a loud mouth and loved to just argue with everyone. And he was tried to indoctrinate people into this hyper-Calvinistic mindset, you know. And he, he had cornered this Brett fella that I didn't really like. And I thought... Of the two people in the world that I just don't want to mess with right now, it's those two guys. And But I have to. And so I went in and I I got up and I'm kind of going in, wiping the sleepy out of my eyes and kind of going in. And, and I'm sitting there waiting for this one fellow to stop talking, which is hard. And so I knew I was going to wait for a few minutes. And, and Brett really hasn't said anything. That's the, the guy that I rejected, you know. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at him and he's shaking his head and looking at him. Shaking his head and just looking at him, just listening to everything that this fellow was saying. And and I, I thought, man, he's accepting this, he's listening to this, this is hogwash what this guy is saying. And I was about to interject something and, and Brett opened his mouth and he goes, Hey, hey, you know, I've been listening to you for a long time. Can I just say something? I don't think you're saved. I think you need to get saved. I don't think you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going, What? <laughs> And now this guy begins to... I mean, this dude's like an evangelist. I'm like, oh, I, I think I want to get born again again. Just listen to this guy. This guy was phenomenal. This guy became one of my great friends out there at the Bible College. Never would have been if I wouldn't have been in that situation. But God showed me, God, Don, do not look at man after the flesh. Because you will be wrong most of the time. Gang, listen, we can't look at people according to the flesh. We must look at them through the eyes of Christ. 
And they may have hurt you time and time and time again, but continue to look at them through the eyes of Christ. I don't care how bad they've hurt you. I don't care what they... Here's the thing. Think about you when Jesus looks at you. How many times have you, and I'm going to not ask for a, a show of hands in this room because we'd all be embarrassed because if we were honest, every hand in this room would raise up. How many times uh, have you ever sinned right before the eyes of the Lord? You know God's watching you what you're doing. You know that what you're doing is wrong and you do it anyways. I'll ask for forgiveness later. Have any of you ever used that line? In your own mind, justified it, you know, worked it around in your head. Well, I'll ask for forgiveness later. But right now, my flesh really wants to do this. And you do this right before the Lord. You know what that is? That's spiritual adultery. You just committed adultery, not behind God's back, but right before his eyes. Right, right, what right do we have to look at someone and say, say I'm not going to. I'm not going to like you anymore. I'm not going to talk to you anymore because you're just an evil person. You always do these bad things. Your life is horrible. Your lifestyle is outside of the lifestyle that I want to live. What I see is that the people's the people who that we might judge from the church, we might judge in the world. And we might look at the world out there and go, oh man, we're so righteous, we're so holy, we're so pious. But look at those sinners out there. We've become nothing less than Pharisees. We have not become the men and women, the, child, the children of God that God has intended us to be to reach out to the lost and the lonely and the hurting and those who are caught and wracked in sin in the world. This is just the place where we come and meet and, and grow in the Lord. But that's where our mission field is. Here's the thing. Who, who was comfortable around Jesus? And I will tell you, it was not the religious people. It was not the religious people. It was the people that were out on the streets. In fact, the religious people, what, do you remember the accusation that they made against Jesus? Who is this Jesus think he is, this one who eats with prostitutes and tax collectors? What? Now, I'm not asking you to go down and, you know, if you're a guy, go down and, and, and buy lunch for a bunch of prostitutes. And, and, you know, you might go to jail and your name might turn into John, you know. But here's the thing. I'm sorry. Sorry, John. <laughs> sorry, John. <laughs> Oh, I didn't think that one through. <laughs> Sorry. Any John that's listening to me, that's... Well, if your real name is John, if your nickname is John, well, then we've got a problem. But that, that, I'm talking to you, okay? So, <laughs> moving on. All right, I'm a little embarrassed right now. So, here's the thing. Jesus was comfortable around them. And does that mean that he, he was okay with their sin? I think, personally, that Jesus is the most spirit-filled human being upon the face of this earth. Demonstrating the life that you and I can live. I'm of the opinion that the life that Jesus lived, he limited himself to the same amount of power of the Holy Spirit that is available to you and I, and we just do not tap into the Holy Spirit enough. I think that we're afraid of what God's going to do in our life. I know I am. Shame on me. But I pray that I, God would give me the boldness to do the things that he's called me to do. I pray for God to give you the boldness to do the things that he's called you to be and to do. Because here's the thing. That's why he died. That's why he said it's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit or the Comforter to you. But when I do, he's going to come into you. He's with you right now, but he will be in you. And when he comes into you, he's going to guide you. He's going to teach you. He's going to show you. He's going to lead you. He's going to empower you. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus as he was walking upon the face of the earth. He was walking in the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think it was to the same amount of power of the Holy Spirit as is available to you and I. And so, he's not, he's not compromising in the world. How many of us would think that Jesus... I'm, I don't want to raise your hand because I don't want people to look at you. Please don't raise your hand. I, I will just say this. You're wrong. I don't mean to be so brash and so arrogant, but you're wrong. Jesus never compromised. 
And yet the people that found themselves more comfortable with Jesus were the people that were on the street that were the the rejects. They were the rejects of the world. They were the rejects where people didn't want to deal with them. Where the religious people that should have been reaching out to them, they weren't reaching out to them because they were, boy, I don't want to touch them because I don't want to get what they have. And the moment that the church ever becomes that, we have lost our view, we've lost our way, and you know what? There's no sense in ever coming back to a church. If that's who you are, if that's who I am, there's no reason for us to do this. This is, this is, church is never, was never meant to be a social club. That's not what church was ever meant to be. Church isn't meant to be the place of fun, the fun house. That wasn't what the intention of the church was. I had a conversation with, a, with someone yesterday about that, you know, about a, a church kind of, you know, saying that that is part of their mission statement. Oh, we're going to have fun. That's what we're here for. Our church, you're going to have fun. And that's fun, fun, fun. I mean, in their mission statement, it, I mean, you see fun and fun and fun and fun. And I'm going, show me that in the Bible. Show me that in the Word of God. Jesus, James says, let your laughter be turned to mourning. That's not fun. How do you preach that message in a fun church? You can't preach that message. Sacrifice. Even when it hurts, sacrifice. If God's calling you to do something and it's a hard thing to do, do it anyways if God's calling you to do it. Now here's the thing. Is that fun? That's not fun. And if you're going to really go by the mission statement of your church, you can't teach that message. You can't teach the messages of Jesus. Because that's not fun to listen to. The Word of God isn't always fun, but it's necessary. But it's challenging. What to challenge? It's to challenge us to become more and more like Christ, the man and the woman that Christ wants us to be. And because here's the thing we are not to be looking at people through our eyes, we should be looking at them through the eyes of Christ. And then he goes on and he says in verse 17, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand if anyone is in Christ, Paul says, He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Did you hear that? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What kind of power, I'm asking you, what kind of power does it take to take someone who's lived a life wracked in sin and they know it. Every day they wake up in the morning and they look in the mirror and they're depressed. Oh, they might put that smile on their face. They might show on Facebook or Twitter or, you know, whatever, you know, Insta chat or whatever those things are. Hey man, life is great. Life is wonderful. Life is just groovy. Uh, You know how many... I see a lot of, of that on, yeah, I'm more so on Facebook than anything, and I hardly ever say anything on Facebook. I'm kind of like one of those grazers that will go along and read and never respond to anybody, you know. I, I'm just, I'm not a big, I don't write a lot. So if I write, it, it, it must have touched me in a way that I really needed to say something, but uh, I don't really ever do that. But the thing is, is that there are those that you'll see on there, and you know that, Someone will talk about how wonderful their life is and how awesome everything is going and, and all of this kind of stuff when in all actuality, you know that person, you know your life is in turmoil right now. We just had a conversation. That actually happened to me one time. Had coffee with somebody and, and was ministering to them and talking to them and their life was in turmoil. Their life was in the toilet at that time. They were trying to figure out a way to get out. They were trying to figure out how to do this. They were, they were so distraught. They were thinking they were losing their family. And then, you know, 30 minutes later, I see on his Facebook that everything's absolutely wonderful in his life. And I'm going, that's just a lie. And so we can hide behind social media, can't we? We can hide behind social media. The thing is, to think, what kind of power does it take to take somebody who is racked in sin and eradicate that old and make them new? What kind of power does it take to take that person that you look in the mirror at 
every single day and you look at that person and regardless of what face you put on when you go outside, you and the Lord know what's looking back at you and you look in that mirror and you go, man, I'm not, I'm not who I should be. I'm not where I am. I'm not where I should be. I'm, I, I, I've I'm blown it. I'm just blowing it. Today will be a good day. Today, today I'm going to change. And then you don't change. Then you go in there and you see yourself in the mirror the next day and you have the same conversation. How long do you do that before you go, you know what, there's no use, there's no hope. I'm always going to be this way and I'm never going to change. This is who I am. It's never going to happen for me. It happens for everyone else. Why does it happen for everyone else? How come it doesn't happen for me? What kind of power does it take for God to take that person and say, no longer you look in that person in the mirror, but there's a new mirror over here. That's a new creation. It's a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. What you used to be, what you used to think about yourself, what you used to see your future being, what you used to think your destiny was, that's all passed away when you come in Christ. He washes you clean. Oh, you might look in the mirror and go, well, I'm still the same person after I accepted Christ. But here's the thing. When you're looking in the mirror of Christ, when he hung on the cross and the blood that he shed for you, his blood was shed for that sin that you see and is so prevalent in your life that you see every day and you're so depressed over and just so distressed over. Here's the thing. It's for that sin that he, that he suffered. It's for that sin. It's for that life that he died. And I know the, the message of the cross, the message of the gospel is a very simple message, but it was a very hard thing to accomplish. The message of the gospel, which means what, gang? Good news. The gospel means good news. The good news is that when you look in that mirror, God can take that person, transform them, and make them new. You remember David? King David, he was a fellow that, man, loved God. Many of the Psalms that he wrote were just phenomenal. The people loved him absolutely adored their King David. He was awesome. They, he loved God and he led them and God just gave him victory after victory after victory in battles and given safety to the, to the nation of Israel. And, and man, everybody loved him. But then David, he sinned, didn't he? You remember when all the, you know, the time of the, of the year came along where all the kings were supposed to go out to battle with their, with their armies, David hung back that year. He hung back that season and here he was on the top of his own palace looking down and happens to see a woman down there. Her name's Bathsheba. He ends up, you remember the story. He remember, he, he sends some servants who are so looking up to him. I don't want to really get into this whole situation with David other than to say that he was a sinner and he did something awful. But everybody that looked up to David, those in his household going, man, this guy, I love this king. This king loves God. This king loves his people. This king loves his nation. And he'll do anything for us. King, I'd do anything. What, do, what would you like me to do? Hey, I was just outside and I saw this naked woman down there that was uh, taking a bath. Who is she? Oh, well, number one, David, what are you looking at a naked woman for? But they would never say that. But you know it had to have been going through their mind. That actually is another man's wife. In fact, it's one of your most valiant warriors out there in the field. His name's Uriah the Hittite. Uriah. And David goes, go fetch her for me. What do you think that does to those people that looked up to David the way that they did? This guy is just not the guy I thought he was supposed to be. Let that be a lesson to any of you or, in any, or myself to never put anyone on a pedestal here on the earth. Because I will tell you, I promise, they will let you down someday. I don't care who it is. They're going to let you down. You might say, oh no, no, that person's never let me down and will never let me down. No, I'll tell you right now, if you keep your eyes on any man, any woman upon the face of this earth, they're going to let you down eventually. That's why God says, that, God says I'm jealous for my glory. 
I'm jealous for the glory. And does that make God a narcissistic God? Well, the world would say, well, kind of a narcissistic God says, oh, you've got to worship me and I'm jealous. Don't worship anybody else. Don't bow down to anybody else. I am jealous for man's worship. Here's the thing. Does that mean that he's narcissistic? Is he just so in love with himself that he needs us to validate his love for himself? I mean, my goodness. It's a narcissistic God, isn't it? No, here's the thing. It's nothing like that whatsoever. God just knows that if you put that kind of worship, you put that kind of love or that kind of attention that should only go to him on anyone else, you're going to be let down. You're going to be destroyed because nobody else can, can take that glory. No one else is worthy of that. They're going to let you down. God will not let you down. Oh, he might not do everything you want him to do, but I'll promise you that in heaven you're going to go, oh my goodness, that made perfect sense. I never thought through that. God, your plan was perfect. Just because you don't know his plan, just because you might go through a trial, doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan. He always has a plan. You've got to just trust him. But he says, I will take your old and I will make it new. And David, you remember the story. He slept with that woman. She got pregnant. And then he goes, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Because her husband's been out to battle for a long time. If he comes back and she's pregnant, and when he comes back and she's pregnant, uh, he's going to know that that wasn't his, and he'll kill her. So I'm going to come up with a plan. So he devises a plan to bring Uriah back. Uriah was such a good standing soldier, such a valiant warrior, such a loyal man that he would not go home to be with his wife while all of his brothers and countrymen were out there putting their lives on the line. What, what a man. What a man. David goes, oh, come on in, drink with me. And he'd get drunk with him. And he's going, man, anybody that gets drunk is going to want to go home and be with his wife, you know? Well, maybe or maybe not. But here's the thing. Uriah, he just went out to the, the gate of David and he would just fall asleep out there. Hey, Uriah, what's, where did he go? Did he go home last night? No, man, he stayed out right by your gate because here's the thing. He says he will not go home and be pleasured whatsoever with his wife. When everybody else is out there sacrificing their lives for this nation he must, he, and for his king. He's not going to do that. David ends up sending a note to Joab, his commander out there, through Uriah as he went back out into the front lines. Because David couldn't get him to sleep with his wife to have Uriah killed. Oh, not kill him. Not throw a javelin through him themselves. But to actually take him up to the front lines and then back all of the other soldiers away knowing the impending death was going to be upon him. But here's the thing. Not only did he die, but many other soldiers died. Just to cover David's sin. Is that an ugly thing to do as a king? Do you think that that's a good king? It's not a good king. That's not a good man. And yet he did it. And here's the thing. For a whole year, he never repented until Nathan the prophet came to David and told him a little story about A man who had a lot of wealth and a man who was very poor. And people who came to the, to the, you know, people, foreigners that came to a a land to the rich man's house. And instead of taking any of his cattle, of which he had hundreds, you know, to take any of his uh, animals and sacrifice to, to make a feast for these guests of honor that have come into this wealthy man's house, he says, I don't want to use any of my animals. Use some of our guys and go out to, oh, Charlie's house over there who only has one animal and take that one and bring it over here and, and, and kill it and, and you know cook it all up for our guests. I, I, it's, it's, it's not financially feasible for me to lose one of my sheep. And yet the Bible says that the one that they took from this house... I didn't know his name was Charles. That's just the name that came to my head. But, you know, over here at Charles' house, they said that this lamb was, was one that actually was a pet that would come to their table. They'd feed it off the table. This was their pet. Can you imagine somebody taking your dog? Can you imagine somebody taking an animal of yours? Maybe you have a cat. I'm not a cat person, but I'm sure that cat people love cats. And so can you imagine somebody taking your cat and killing your cat? Your neighbor coming over? What would you do? You'd flip, wouldn't you? Well, you can't do that to somebody who has all this power and this might and this strength. 
And so they had to let them take their, their pet. And they took it over there and they killed it. And they ate it. Nathan says, that happened, David. What, what do you think should happen? And David says, you know what? That, piece, that person needs to be judged. That person, that ticks me off. That should not happen in my kingdom. Bring me that man. And Nathan says, David, you are that man. And David thought he was getting away with his sin for a whole year until that day when he realized I had never gotten away with it at all. God knew about it all the time and he gave me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent and I never did it, but God brought a man to me to make me confront my sin and David penned one of the most awesome psalms. He says, against you, my God, against you and you only have I sinned and done this wickedness in your sight. It caused him to recognize his sin and he didn't blame anybody else. That's the cool thing about David. There, I mean, was there a redeeming value about that whole thing? Yeah, because David taught us, hey, listen, don't push your sin off onto anybody else. He acknowledged his sin before God. People go, why didn't God kill David? He killed Saul for the sin that Saul committed. Saul didn't go and repent to the Lord. David did. He went to, you, to, to, to God and he says, against you, God, and you only. He didn't say against Uriah. He didn't say against Bathsheba or their family or his kingdom or all the servants in his house or his warriors or his commander-in-chief out there, Joab, none of those guys, he didn't say, against them did I sin. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this wickedness in your sight. So he recognized his sin was right blatantly before the eyes of the Lord. And yet God still loved him and blessed him and, and was with him and gave him opportunity to repent. He didn't take it until he was confronted with it. And then David said some of the most awesome words that mean everything to our passage here today. He said, Lord, you would be worthy to judge me and take me out. But if you choose not to, here's the thing. What I need you to do, Lord. And we've heard the song before, haven't we? Lord, I want you to create within me a clean heart. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. My sin is ever before me. Take my, take my heart and create. That word, create, is the same exact word that we see in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word in the Hebrew is bara. B-A-R-A-W, bara. What that means is that God took how God created the heavens and the earth. He says, God created the heavens and the earth. That word bara means out of non-existing material. God didn't go, oh man, I, I would create the heavens and the earth if I had some dirt. No, God created it out of non-existing material and he created this what we are stepping on right now. This which we feel when we pinch this person of us, this, this, this body. He created that out of non-existing material. Now there's another word that says, hey, create out of existing materials, but that's not what it was. Here's what David said. I don't want you to take the heart that's in me. I want you to rip this old, ugly, wicked heart out of me, this wicked heart, this horrible heart that is before your eyes. I want you to create out of non-existing material, I want you to put a brand new heart in me and renew a steadfast spirit in me. I think for a year, David didn't have a steadfast spirit. Isn't that like you and I? When we know that we're harboring sin in our hearts, that there's never really truly a joyful spirit in us because we know that we have some issues between us and the Lord and you're just afraid to deal with them? There comes a time where you and I, we need to go before the Lord and go, Lord, I'm looking in the mirror. You see the same guy looking back at me. And here's the thing. I know who he is. I know who she is. And, and here's the thing. That's ugly. But I'm not going to deal with it today because you know what? I'm too afraid. I'm too afraid. There comes a point where we've got to get to that place where I, I like David. Because, hey, listen, God loves you too much to leave you there. He might bring a Nathan into your life and say, hey, you are that person. 
I'd rather deal with God than to actually have someone else come to me and go, hey, this is you. This is you. And so as you come before the Lord and go, you know what, Lord, I don't want this wickedness anymore. Let there come a time where you go, hey, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Take this old heart out and put a brand new heart in me. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. And here's the thing. What Paul says, oh, it's guaranteed. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All of the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old in the Greek is archaos. What word does that sound like? Huh? Chaos, yeah. (laughs) Old chaos. You know? What's the study of archaeology? What? Yeah, it's the stuff of old times, right? It's, it's, it's digging up things and looking at old times. And, and as John says, hey, it also sounds like chaos. The old chaos that you have in your life, I didn't think about that. That actually, I'm going to write that down. That's next time I teach this, I'm going to use that. Here's the thing. The old chaos that you had, he says, I'm going to take that out and I'm going to make it brand new. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to renew you. I'm going to make you right. And so that's the thing, guys. You and I, I got to finish, but here's the thing. I'm going to be very sensitive about this because I I don't want this to be misunderstood. We think of a of a child that's born uh, in a neonatal unit at the hospital because mom's hooked on crack. And that baby is born on crack, hooked on crack, addicted. And they have to break that child of that, that addiction. And because we live in a country like we do, um, we will protect that baby for the most part, I know that there's a lot of, you know, gaps there, and I know that there's mistakes and what have you there, and that it could probably be a whole lot better than it is. But here's the thing: they take that baby and they try to turn that baby and make that baby normal. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Here's the thing: if you just give that baby back to that mom or that dad or that mom and dad that are both hooked on crack and, and, and they just are, are going and going and going. And the thing is, is they begin to introduce it to their kid. You know, what kind of a parent would ever do that to a kid? I don't know. What kind of a parent would ever, you know, be smoking crack when you're, on, when you're pregnant? You know, if you're going to do that while you're pregnant, what's the difference if you're doing it when your kid's alive? So it's the same person. And we might look at that and go, oh, that's a horrible person. Well, you're a horrible person. Well, that person doesn't deserve to have salvation. Well, you don't deserve to have salvation. Well, that come up with an excuse to not like that person. There isn't an excuse unless you're super religious. Jesus says, all oh, those who are religious don't need a Savior. But we also understand that everyone needs a Savior. I don't think that he was advocating saying, hey, you can become so religious that you don't need a Savior. I think that he's saying, hey, here's the thing. If you're so religious you don't think you need a Savior, <laughs> it isn't going to get through to you anyways. Here's the thing. That baby has been born with an infection. That baby has been born. Well, much like that baby born as an addict, here's the thing. You and I were born with sin. And we can medicate it all we want. We can medicate, you know, all of the different things with the things that we have in this world. But here's the thing. We are infected with an illness called sin and there is no way. There is no serum. There is no possible. There's no, we can't, you know, replace our blood. You know that there's no uh, uh, substitute for, for, for blood. We, we have not, I mean, all the technological advances that we have, we still have not, as smart as we are, we still haven't even come up with a blood, a synthetic blood that will actually work in our body we, it, it, and to keep us alive. We don't have it. You know why? Because we don't even yet understand blood. We don't fully understand blood. Let that sink in for a second. I've been studying blood for about the last five weeks. And that's one of the things that has fascinated me the most. There are great minds out there. And we don't know anything about blood. We know a little bit. But there are so many unanswered questions about blood that nobody can answer except God. Here's the thing. There's a blood that's in you 
that is sin infected and you must have it cleaned. And the only clean blood is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. I don't have time to get more into that. I Go back and listen to the Easter message. I talk about that. But here's the thing. We're all guilty under sin. But if you're in Christ, all things will become new. Old things will pass away. Your old archaeos, archaic chaos, the, all the old stuff in your life can be washed afresh and brand new. Isn't that a glorious thing to know that that person is looking back at the mirror at you every day. You can look at him now in Christ and go, you know, that nothing in me good dwells except for Christ. And you know what? All this ugliness that I have was paid for at the cross. doesn't give me the license to continue in that, but Lord, or but it gives me the opportunity to come to the Lord and ask him to give me the strength to get beyond these areas in my... There's hope. There's hope for a new life. There's hope for a new beginning. There's hope for a fresh new start. Are you in Christ? That's it. Are you in Christ? He says the very last verses here, he says, uh, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. That means to come together, you know, to, 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 to make a peace And that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing, not not charging their trespasses to them, to you or to me. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation that we can go out and we're sharing the gospel. Now then, we are ambassadors. And that's who you and I are. We're ambassadors. We understand what an ambassador is, right? An ambassador, if we send out an ambassador from the United States to, say, Russia, what is that person doing? He's over in Russia representing the United States to the Russians, right? What you, Here's what the United States thinks. That's what I'm presenting to you. This is what the United States feels. This is what I'm representing to you. This is what the United States would do in this situation. This is what I'm representing to you Russians. And so that's the situation about an ambassador. And so if... Paul calls you and I ambassadors for Christ, then we are going into a world that doesn't know him to represent to the world what Christ would have them to hear. To represent to the world the man or the woman that Christ would have us to be. Does that make sense? We're the ambassadors for Christ. Just like an ambassador from the United States. Would it tick you off if you went over there and and kind of rolled and said, hey, here's the thing. I want to be like the Russians. Wait a minute, you're no longer a good ambassador for us because you are going to Russia adopting the Russian principles. No longer are you truly an ambassador of the United States. You've been infected by the Russians. Now, I don't mean to say Russian, you know, United States and all that, but there, it is in the news right now. We've got problems, right? But what would we call that person? We'd call that person a, uh, a what? A traitor, a defector. Somebody that doesn't rightly represent us, and yet that's who we are. I don't mean to get too hammering on that, but here's the thing. When we go out in the world, we are, amba- we are ambassadors for Christ. Are we good ambassadors? Or does the people around go, hey, come on, man. That's not what an ambassador would be. That's not, that's not what it would look like if Jesus were here today. Because that's exactly what an ambassador is. An ambassador is a person going to do something because the leader... Just can't go and be everywhere. I mean, he's just basically a sheepdog. All right? And so he says, you know, we are uh, ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Did you hear that? When we go out into the world, God is pleading through you. If you're a Christian, God's pleading through you. Is the world seeing God plead? Man, that's convicting to me. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And that is what, as ambassadors, were to be out in the world. But he's also talking to the church that isn't doing this. Be reconciled to God. Are you at peace with Christ? Are you at peace? Are you doing what Christ would have you to do, church? But now as we go out into the world, I want you to understand that God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you and he wants to give you heaven. It's a great thing. That's a great thing. That person that you see in the mirror that you go, wow, that person doesn't deserve heaven. You know all the stuff you've done. Here's the thing. God wants to take that and he wants to eradicate it. He wants to wash you clean. 
He wants to give you a new life. For if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things became, all things become new. Do you want that? Oh, yeah. How many of you would like a do-over? I mean, my goodness. Back when we were kids, you know, do-over, do-over. Hey, how many times do we want to cry out like that as an adult and say, do-over, 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 do-over. I've made a mistake. I've made a mess of my life. Here's the thing. God's given you an opportunity every single day to have a do-over. And you can be brand new. How? Because God made him, verse 21, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How? By believing. Remember? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who, what? Whoever would what? Believe in him. Would not perish but have everlasting life. How, how are you made new? It's believing. It's faith. It's coming to him, recognizing who you are and what you need. And so it's the great exchange at the cross. And I leave you with this, guys. Listen. As a Christian, God will look at you as though Jesus has lived his life through your life. And he looks at your life as though you... I'm sorry. God looks at Jesus as though... He lived his life through your life. That makes sense? God looks at Jesus as if he lived your life through your life. Can you imagine? How embarrassed would you be if Jesus lived your life? I know I'd be very embarrassed. But know this, that God looks at your life, my life, as though I lived the life of Jesus. When I'm in Christ, God looks at Jesus as if it were me. And he looks at me as if I were Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? That's you, that's me. That's what we have the opportunity to be. That's what we have the opportunity to, to live our lives. We are ambassadors, gang. I want you to go understanding the call that we have in our life to get out there and be ambassadors for Christ because you know what? There's a lot of hurting people out there that need to know the love of Jesus Christ, that there is a, there's a new beginning out there. There's a new life. There's a new life for them. Let's go live it, amen? Father, thank you so much for today. And I pray, Lord, that we... Lord, would take this challenge to heart and that we would be able to leave out of this place knowing that, Lord, I've been challenged today and now not only am I going to be challenged, but I'm going to go out there and I'm going to actually, I'm, I'm asking God for you to empower me. Today I'm asking you right now to empower me to go out there and maybe it's one person today that you want me to step out of my comfort zone and be that ambassador. I want to recognize, Lord, that I've been washed clean. I want a fresh start. I want to live my life for you. I'm an ambassador for you whether I like it or not. If I call upon your name, if I claim to be a Christian, then I am supposed to be an ambassador. What kind of an ambassador am I presenting to the world? Do people see Jesus in me? If any of us are sitting there saying, no, you wouldn't, the world would not see Jesus in me. Today, Jesus wants to give you a fresh start. If you don't know Christ, you can simply come to him by believing. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you and your sin. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. The problem is is that the shedding of of, uh, the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do anything. All it could do was just show the picture of something that was yet to come back in the Old Testament. What was yet to come was that God would become a man in the form of Jesus Christ. And he would live among us for 33 years. At 33 years, he hung on a cross and he cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The pure blood that was in his body was shed. He was the lamb slaughtered from the foundation of the world. We understand John to say in John chapter 1. Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God. Crucified. Sacrificed for the world. For God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And as we believe 
there's anyone that simply wants to come to Christ, you simply believe that God did that on your behalf to pay for your sin, to rescue from the pit of hell and to give you eternity in heaven, to make you an ambassador today for him. I know that that might sound scary a little bit, but I'll tell you one thing. It's the most adventurous life you've ever, you'll ever, ever embark on upon in the face of this earth. So if there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship, just say, Lord, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I've sinned. I'm a sinner. I have no reason, no worth in me, no goodness in me that would make you give me eternal life. I know that I have sin in my life. And I acknowledge, though I, I can't remember every sin that I've ever done, I just know that I'm I'm just a sinner. I know that I have sin in my life and I know that I sin. And I know that if my life were required of me today, I wouldn't be going to heaven. Not if perfection was required, but today I've seen perfection. His name is Jesus. He died on a cross for me. And I want this great exchange of the cross that Pastor Don was just talking about and that is to exchange my life, that that God, you would take my life. You'd make it clean. I accept that sacrifice. Jesus on a cross for me. I believe, Jesus, you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again three days later from my sin. And you give me victory. And Lord, I want to be this day that one that we have just read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. I want to be that person. I want to be that man. I want to be that woman. I want a fresh start. I want all my old sin forgiven. And I want a fresh start. I want to be clean in you. I want to know I'm going to heaven, Lord. And for all the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would you would help us to know that every day is a new beginning. That every day we can wake up and rejoice and be glad because this is the day that you made for us to be ambassadors for you. Help us, Lord, to bring a pleasing smile to your face. We're not going to be perfect, but God, help us to represent you well as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. thanks for listening so did Jesus cause a change in you today or do you need prayer we'd love to hear from you please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717 that's 941-926-3717 again thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don